0: Hello and welcome all listeners to today's podcast. My name is Andrew Stormont-Darling and I am a project manager at the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult, the UK's leading technology, research and innovation centre for offshore renewables. Today we're talking about a very important topic, the health and safety of those working offshore on the wind turbines. Specifically, our discussion will centre around the work done under the SPOUT project, which stands for the Safety and Productivity of Offshore Wind Technician Transit. In this work, we investigated the impacts of sailing by crew transfer vessel, or CTV, on the well-being of technicians. This €3.6 million project, with funding from the EU's DemoWind 2 programme, has just concluded. uh, Over two years of research and technology development led by the ORE Catapult, the University of Hull, Siemens-Gamesa Renewable Energy, Marine Coordinators SMC Limited, Dutch Research Institutes Marin and TNO, and BMO Offshore. So to set the scene, on many offshore wind sites, the, the transit to the wind farm for operations and maintenance is done using crew transfer vessels. Uh, And this sailing on almost a daily basis can easily take one to two hours um, in weather conditions that can be often uh, rough and challenging with with high sea states and high wave conditions. Before sailing begins, a decision needs to be made uh, by the management teams as to whether the sailing should take place or whether it is too hazardous to do so. On some days, it can be difficult to decide whether to sail or not Uh, and this uncertainty can have safety and cost implications. For example, um, what is often called sail and fail can occur when the vessel uh, sails out but is forced to turn back to port uh, if the conditions are are too high for the vessel or for the individuals on board. Alternatively, the vessel can make it to the turbine, they do successfully transfer the teams onto the turbines, but in some cases, the effects of seasickness um on the passengers is often unclear and that's what we wanted to get to the bottom of with this research and as the name suggests um, our end goal is to improve the safety and productivity of the site operations in order to do this in the project we developed a forecasting and monitoring tool to help match the future assets to environmental conditions we took a novel approach by collecting data from site operations to create What we call a decision support tool that um, will allow site planners to make basically more informed decisions regarding crew transfers. The project has for the first time measured in parallel the motion of crew transfer vessels in certain weather conditions and sea states as well as the psychological and the physiological well-being of the technicians on board. As part of the SPOUT project ORE Catapult's role was to manage and coordinate the team's delivery and to undertake data management tasks. The work was, however, delivered with six other companies from across uh, the Netherlands and the UK, four of which join me today to discuss this topic further. So without further ado, let's meet today's guests. Fiona, if you would kick us off, please.
1: Hello, uh, thank you, Andrew. My name is Fiona um, I'm a Chartered Occupational Psychologist based at the University of Hull. Um, my role at Hull is Senior Lecturer in Psychology and Director of the Centre for Human Factors. Um, but my role in the project was to understand the subjective experience of seasickness in the technician transit, to find out what it was like for them, and then to use this understanding to find effective ways of measuring the impact of this transit on the technicians themselves.
2: My name is Gijs I work at Marin. That is uh, the Maritime Research Institute in the Netherlands. At uh, Marin, we uh, research ship and offshore structures, and uh, mainly their Hydrodynamic effects and uh, we can do so in a prediction stage at uh, model scale in uh, where we build a scale model of a ship or an offshore structure and we test it in one of our basins. We can also use numerical tools nowadays, so computer simulations. And uh, my work uh, is in a group of uh, Marin which mainly performs full scale experiments. So we go out to real world, build vessels and we do measurements on board to perform validation tests for these predictions. Within the Spout project, our role was to research the motion behavior of these crew transfer vessels. Uh, we did so in a numerical way, building up uh, a database of uh, ship motions that can be used in the deliverable tool of this project. And we validated those uh, numerical predictions with uh, onboard measurements, uh, onboard measurement campaigns that we have conducted uh, within this uh, project.
3: Hello everyone. My name is Joanna du Santos and I was the Siemens Gamesa project manager for Spouts, uh, working alongside colleagues from University of Hull, Marin, SMC, BMO, TNO, and Catapult. I have worked for Siemens Gamesa for eight years, and within the wind power sector for seven, which allowed me to work in onshore production and most recently in offshore wind environments.
4: Hello, my name's George Moore, I'm the Business Development Manager at Specialist Marine Consultants, or or SMC as we're known. We're a market-leading provider of marine services, particularly relevant here is our practical involvement in in the planning and coordination of marine operations. Uh, And my involvement in this project, um, I oversaw and planned the development and testing of of a commercial software tool built to implement the findings of the consortium for use in a practical marine environment.
0: Okay, Thank you all very much. Uh, and welcome to the podcast. So I think to kick off discussion all around this and try to try and explore this, uh, this topic further, I'll start with a question to you, Fiona, um, on the academic side. So the question is, what did the literature say about seasickness? And why did we think there was more to understand here?
1: Well, um, first of all, seasickness is, is a really familiar human phenomenon. Most people have an experience of this. Most people have been in a car, or on a boat, sometimes in a plane, or or playing video games games even, have had this experience of motion sickness. Um, And we were particularly interested, of course, in, in seasickness of which there's a really long and interesting and rich academic history um, coming right across different disciplines from psychology to physiology and biomechanics, right across to um, the traditional sciences of engineering. And so there's a, a huge body of information uh, that we could start with. And within that, there's models explaining the theory of, of why seasickness occurs, What what are the... Underlying mechanisms for this this process. Why, why does it happen to us? Um, And then there's all sorts of um, useful information around the sorts of wave conditions and motion conditions which are believed to be most dominant in causing a state. So for instance, we know that the kind of vertical motion has historically been thought to be the the most um, dominant sort of motion to, to make people start to feel seasick. We also know that it's more than just vomiting. Um, For well over 50 years, we've understood that this is a really complex human phenomenon. It isn't just about vomiting or even just about nausea. There's a known um, complex of symptoms that include um, cognitive symptoms like being lightheaded um, or dizzy. Temperature-related disturbances often associated with this sort of feeling of cold, sweating and clamminess. Um, gastrointestinal obviously symptoms like uh, the feeling of sickness, nausea and actually vomiting um, and then this associated and I'm um, often talked about condition of Sopite syndrome which is really most associated with fatigue, this feeling that we are, we are tired and weary and um, this is particularly interesting in the, in the work context that we're interested in here because Of course, if people are arriving at work fatigued, then that has important implications for the health and safety of the way they carry out their task. But when you ask what what did we think we needed to understand better, um, we really needed to extend this research. It's a huge body of research, but it's limited for us in probably three important ways. First of all, a lot of the data around motion and the impact on on people and the the starting of this seasickness state relates to whether people vomit or not. So a great deal of the literature, the the well-known MSI, um, uh, the percentage of people, motion sickness indicator, which is the um, percentage of people who are likely to be sick in certain contexts, That um, is often the the main measure that's taken and and is the basis for a lot of the research. So what we're doing is is understanding seasickness from a simple perspective of whether somebody is sick or not, and what proportion of people are likely to be sick. And of course, knowing what we do about the complexity of this experience and the importance of all these different symptoms, it's really important that we extend this work and understand what motions are likely to predict seasickness um, in its full complex state. So first of all, we need to understand the complexity better. The other limitation of the existing literature is that most of the data, the vast majority of data in fact, is collected in settings that are really different to offshore wind, often naval contexts, a lot of military data around seasickness. Um, which often involves larger vessels, of course, and people that are um, at sea for, for long and extended periods. We're interested in relatively short transit times from shore to the, the wind finds around an hour and a half to, to two hours. And this experience is, is, is quite different to the sorts of data that currently exist. And finally, there is very, very little data on the relationship between motion and um, work and well-being. So what impact does this have not just on the technician during the transit, but also what impact does it have on their work and well-being? How will it affect their working day? So really what we wanted to understand was... What's the experience of this motion sickness in our context of offshore wind transit to near shore wind farms? And what are the subjective experiences of that? How, what are the pattern of these effects? How do they occur in this context? And how do they? How long do they last? What's the recovery time like? And these are all really important questions for operational planning, which is incredibly important for effective operations and maintenance. And finally, we want to know what impact does this um, this experience of transit have on the work? How effective the technicians are the technicians after a difficult sale, and how? safe are they likely to be? And how long do they need to recover? So there's a whole series of questions that we have to ask that go well beyond the existing literature.
0: I mean, maybe just uh, a quick follow up then. That's, you know, that's the big picture. That's what we wanted to try and, where we wanted to get to. What were some of the key steps we undertook to, to try and capture that data or to try and develop that human response model? Can you you hint at some of that for us?
1: Yes, of course. Really, the the important aspects that we needed to ensure that the principles on which we um, wanted to undertake this work were really that we needed breadth of data and depth of data. So we wanted to understand and incorporate all of those relevant variables. For instance, we don't know necessarily what the impact of the sleep the night before for the technicians is. And we wanted to um, explore the full range of factors which could be important and to ensure that when we um, carried out our quantitative study, that we could not miss anything that was important. So the first important uh, principle we started from was um, to ensure we had the right breadth and to do this we we started in the the, the absolute most important place and and as a psychologist i would always want to start with the people that that we're interested in and so we carried out a series of interviews with um, a group of technicians who talked to us about their experiences they gave us really interesting insights about the nature of the symptoms they experienced to what they attributed those experiences And we found that things like the the experience of the cabin, the physical characteristics of the cabin, the temperature, for example, was considered to be important. And so was the um, sleep the night before, and of course vessel motion, um, food that they'd eaten. And so we were enabled to get a full breadth of important variables based on that subjective experience in this context, And build that into a quantitative study and that's I suppose where we come to our our sort of second principle that we were trying to adopt here and that was we needed sufficient depth of data so um, in addition to the being interested in, in the breadth of variables to include it was really important that we had the depth of data, that's the amount of data we collected, a sufficient database to really allow us to understand and control all of the variables that we thought were important from this original qualitative work. Um, So as well as measuring vessel motion across all the ranges of um, motion, we also measured noise and temperature and critically evaluations from the technicians themselves which um, gave us data about their experiences through the day across all of the important variables so we could understand the pattern of those effects. The final principle that we were thought was, was most important was about the usability of this data. Now, we're an applied research team, um, so although we're interested in seasickness from an academic perspective, what's most important to us is that we're able to ensure that we could provide a workable model, a way of effectively predicting these negative effects that could inform decision-making in practical ways. We wanted something that would be useful for the industry. So we used this breadth of data and depth of data to give us some information that could really inform decision-making.
0: That's great Fiona, thanks very much. Um, And I I would add to that, that um, ethics was of course a critical part of that data capture which um, is really the bread and butter of the work that the University of Hull do in your human factors department. So um, that was a major consideration as well. Maybe then to move on to the other half of the, the model, um, or the half of our understanding, a question to you, Heis, on uh, vessel motions. Uh, we had to be able to, to predict vessel motions from uh, sort of a combination of the weather conditions and vessel hull design. So I guess just a general, general question as to how do we do this and, and, and what did we learn along the way?
2: Basically, um, the way we look, well, the way naval architects look at ship motions is um, very plainly a transfer function, which, which you can imagine as a block, as an input, uh, namely the weather system and uh, more particularly, uh, most particularly the wave conditions and has as output uh, what kind of ship motions characteristics uh, is, results from that. And the way the ship uh, reacts to the waves, that's uh, all uh, inside this uh, transfer function. And to obtain this transfer function, you can go about it in different ways. The way you usually start uh, is is to do numerical simulations, and this is also the main approach here in uh, in the Sprout project. For the main deliverable tool in Sprout, we need to arrive at some sort of uh, digital model in order to predict the ship motions before you sail out and we supply this uh, using our different versions of our um, numerical models so there are uh, different ways you can calculate this using computer models in a mathematical sense you can do it in a linear way and a nonlinear way and there's different flavors to that as well uh, what we knew in advance is these relatively small vessels are sailing in a relatively benign sea state so relatively high waves and they Therefore, the motions they experience and also the people on board experience can be quite violent. We can call this, a, in a mathematical way, a quite non-linear motion behavior. So we knew we need quite advanced tools to accurately capture the motion behavior of these vessels. And because the, we, we saw already, uh, before the project started, some challenges in that, uh, we went to with the approach of also performing a large-scale validation campaign by doing motion measurements on boards, that Fiona has hinted, uh, hinted to, that she used in her research for the human behavior as well. We started off doing the numerical simulations in both a non-linear and in a linear way, and we took the data that came from the full-scale measurements on, on, uh, on different CTV vessels, and we compared those motion responses to the numerical predictions. From this, we concluded that there still is a large scatter and uncertainty uh, left, and uh, some discrepancies and we identified different causes. Fiona also hinted to the short uh, transit periods that they have, typically one to two hours. And in the context of building up motion statistics, this uh, limits the, the periods of useful data for us to compare. And there are also, um, we need to search for steady sailing conditions in order to properly compare to simulations. So that, uh, that has had an impact on the, on the validation uh, comparison. Then there are many uh, input uncertainties to the numerical computations. And also the, the way these computations are set up, so both the linear and the nonlinear versions. And uh, on top of that, there were some uncertainties about the exact sea state uh, these vessels were in, using buoy observations close to the vessels and also using high-end cost weather data. Yeah, the, these sources have different fidelity, so to say. So uh, how to incorporate that in the validation has been uh, one of the key uh, steps that we take, uh, have taken in this project. What we learned from this is that we observed that indeed the linear assumptions uh, from, from the more simple uh, numerical methods, they are not always valid. There are situations where they are uh, very useful and a very quick way to assess the motion behaviour. But there are also uh, many, uh, for these type of vessels, many situations where the linear assumptions just don't hold. And we uh, need to uh, resort to the non-linear versions, the more expensive uh, simulations. So this is one of the key takeaways. we now know for these type of catamaran CTV vessels, uh, when to use what to properly assess their behavior. So at the full scale, we saw different causes for uncertainties and to rule out and distinguish the influence of uh, different uh, contributors in this, we decided to go for also a model scale test uh, using a uh, model scale CTV uh, in our basin. Uh, And uh, using this, we can do a physical test, but in a very controlled environment. And this way we can reveal the different influences on the results. For example, we can uh, play around with wave settings and different uh, wave parameters to see their, uh, their isolated influence, so to say. And so this has been very helpful on top of using just operational data, realistic conditions, also using really controlled conditions to try and see where the tools still follow well and where they don't. And what is input uncertainty versus what is modeling uncertainty. So again, uh, these model scale tests they confirmed many of our hypotheses about the nonlinearity, uh, the nonlinear motion effects in the CTVs, in a, yeah, for example, a North Sea uh, sea condition.
0: It's a very complicated topic. Uh, yeah. and one that I, I I couldn't begin to um, explain. But my very layman's understanding of the work um, the you has undertook was around developing a, or having a numerical model that could predict vessel motions for a given vessel design. And then you use real live testing now at sea, yeah, yeah. real conditions, plus controlled conditions in in tank testing to validate and improve that model, and that's what you've achieved really. That the refinement uh, of the model is is that right?
2: Yeah, correct. So now we know if we need to deliver the model for Spout, and we did. Uh, when we delivered the model for Spout, we know that we chose the right set of numerical uh, models for it. So we have validated the models that we ended up using are right for the CTVs in those conditions.
0: I'll move on to our next question. To you, Joanna, um, as well as developing our sort of onshore planning tool, um, we also investigated means to mitigate or to to minimize the negative effects during the sailing itself, uh, what we called control measures. Can you summarize for us what the project team did here and, and what we found?
3: Thank you for your question, Andrew. Siemens Gamesa played a significant role in the delivery of spout. With one of the principal requirements of the study being to examine the effects of seasickness within the offshore workforce, access to wind farms, offshore workers, and TTVs was fundamental. Siemens Gamesa were specifically tasked to participate in a number of project phases and led the approach that examined control measures, which culminated with the development of an onshore planning tool that assists in the scheduling of offshore activities, allowing availability and efficiency to be optimized. Also, we were to evaluate and test the findings for the project and to verify previous knowledge. To bring us closer to our goal, several actions were undertaken by the project team, namely internal incident investigation within the Siemens Gamesa Health and Safety System, a number of interviews with offshore technicians, as Donna Fiona Hurl mentioned, collection of multiple streams of data, such as weather, vessel motion, environmental and real-time on-transit technician feedback, and to finalize the design and installation of an onboard tool, which provides the vessel captain uh, with information on the motion sickness index, both real and forecasted, based on Marin's model, enabling the vessel's captain option To take actions such as change of route or change of speed in order to reduce the MSI on arrival to the wind turbine. There were a number of interesting uh, findings. Uh, Interviews and observation of technicians in the offshore environment allowed us to identify the established uh, seasickness coping strategies. Using this information, we were able to verify uh, various of previously published studies Examples of which include the recommendation for eating a small meal or preferably carbohydrates during and before the trip. Also during the trip, staring at the horizon or lying on the back with the head raised and eyes closed so that the body can better balance the swaying of the vessel can be beneficial. One interesting finding which was established early in the data collection phase of the project is that seasickness is vastly underreported. Only when symptoms escalate and worsen considerably is the situation reported. The assumption being that early seasickness symptoms are viewed as an occupational hazard. Some of the reported early symptoms of seasickness include nausea, dizziness, and sweatiness. All of these symptoms will affect the well-being of technicians as well as their effectiveness whilst on the turbine. It should also be mentioned that this topic was mentioned uh, often as being a concern among the technician community. Given the complexity of the topic seasickness and its potential impact, it's important to demystify it and reinforce the need for more and better communication and reporting across the industry. Fatigue is also an aspect that it's worth discussing as it has been identified as a significant contributory factor in accidents and incidents seasickness and its early symptoms can lead uh, to raised levels of fatigue which may have an impact on the technician's performance and safety. It is worth mentioning the direct feedback from some of the technicians who participated in the project and who mentioned that they, and I quote, did not feel as safe as they should when starting the operations. This is important, Therefore, one of the project's recommendations to the offshore renewable industry is to investigate this aspect and to consider the implementation of recovery time between the transit and the undertaking of tasks on the turbine. To finalize, the collected data suggests that the technicians' predisposition to irritability, mental fatigue and sleepiness found mainly while transiting from wind farm to the harbour can potentially be associated with transits with a higher degree of axis movement. Finding a way to reduce the exposure to these motions may be beneficial for the overall condition. of the
0: So that, that latter point is based on the work of the University of Hull in, in the model regarding the uh, z-axis versus x-axis. Motions and the conventional understanding of seasickness. sickness that's right yeah okay thanks Joanna, that, that that's that's great, and I guess that we should we sort of move naturally on to um uh, how we we go about using this model and and the the tool that we developed in an industrial setting. we developed this um this software from the model, and the idea is that that will be implemented by sites uh, around the world. The question is um, to George, how do you think this could positively affect site operations um, if used effectively? And maybe you can just summarise
4: what the tools do as well. At SMC, we were tasked with developing a a software platform that could incorporate all the the good work of of the rest of the consortium and delivering a commercial and, and practical tool that can support offshore wind farm operations in alignment with the project's key goals. So improving the health and safety and, and well-being of offshore technicians as well as the productivity of, of offshore wind farms. Um, so it's two, two key briefs there. What we've done is we've created a tool that supports the management of, of personnel health and safety offshore, whilst assisting planners um, and indeed marine coordinators, which is the service we're involved with uh, in key decision-making processes. So the tool highlights the impacts of various vessel selections route planning and and sales schedules and and the impacts those decisions or or choices have and the variables have on on technician well-being and operational productivity, um, as well as the vessel's capability to operate in whatever the forecasted weather conditions and and sea states might be. Um, So that's that's the key point there. We've called our software Atlantis, uh, and it works as a a bolt-on feature to an existing marine coordination software we have called Atlas. Um, we felt this modular approach was important to ensure we could produce something that, that really takes a holistic approach to supporting operations. So meeting the brief of being a practical commercial tool and, and not simply a demonstration of, of the research that's gone before it. I guess the, the primary driver for us so at SMC, we're, we're always looking for ways to improve operations. But first and foremost, our primary focus is and, and will always be safety and, and the safety of, of our guys, but also anyone else offshore that, that we're coming into contact with. So whether we're looking after our own personnel or our personnel are looking after client teams, safety is the key driver upon all upon which all of our services are built. So thanks to the work of, of the consortium using this tool, we're able to improve working conditions for offshore workers and, and hopefully avoid the occurrence of unnecessary seasickness, definitely minimizing its regularity and impact where, where possible, of course. So the tool what the tool does is it allows us to account for vessel type planned routes, and forecasted weather in order to determine the potential impacts this will have on technicians based on the findings of our research. So in doing so, the software supports users in decision-making processes. So it's a support tool. Um, It's not giving us a definitive, this is what will happen. It's it's aiding us in making decisions, aiding us, aiding planners, whoever it might be that's that's the end user for the tool. Um, We have a greater range of data behind us in making these decisions effectively of, of when to sail and if to sail. So to give an example, uh, if we have particularly poor conditions, uh, we can have a sensible conversation around if and when to sail based on data. So we can say with a degree of confidence that sailing in these particular conditions will render a high proportion of our technicians seasick, meaning they'll be unable to work immediately upon arrival to the asset or, and perhaps an alternative plan should be assessed or even operations should be postponed for the well-being of the teams. So that's particularly relating to the health and safety. Of the technicians, it might even be that the, the tool suggests that the vessel will struggle to operate in the planned conditions, irrespective of technician well-being, anyway, um, because of the obviously the key work that Marin have done under the hood. Actually, the system's even more flexible than this. So we can assess alternative routes and determine uh, whether, even in these conditions, there's a safe plan that can be applied to ensure operations can continue without being detrimental to personnel well-being. And um, beyond this, uh, beyond this, still. Um, And this is where the commercially viable aspect of the tool really becomes prominent. Atlantis gives us an insight into the impacts of sailing at different speeds. So taking different routes, using different CTVs or vessels um, or altering our departure times or or even a combination of all four elements in there. Um, So the tool can be configured to detail the optimum solution uh, in relation to the output of technicians once on the asset. Ie, if we do this, we anticipate this much working time. But if we do it this way, we anticipate this much working time on the asset. So that's that's a key key point as well. Um, just to add to that, configurations can be made um, to assess both transit to and from site, but also transit in field and between assets. So so inter array transits as well, which which is important. Um, the implications of this being that we can support decision making against work order priorities, so optimising operations further still. Both suppose the final feature, which, which I've not really touched upon yet, is the tool's assessment of vessel performance against operational limits, both contractually and in practice. Um, ultimately, the tool will be able to analyse actual vessel performance to support clients in future vessel selection campaigns. Yeah. Of course, this is ongoing work and is dependent on the continued collection of of data around operational performance. Um, So the longer we have this tool implemented and and on sites, the better the data behind it and and the more effective the vessel selection element of the tool is. But ultimately we'll be looking to to marry up this data, this information with actual weather data to ensure we can provide what, what will be a fair assessment of vessels based on real performance versus real weather data, real sea state data as it happened. So to answer the question in short, how could Atlantis affect operations, I think, um, so it'll support, number one, it'll support users in in improving the well-being of of technicians and delivering them to assets in a positive physical and mental state. So ideally, they'll be ready to work sooner, but also obviously in in a good state. Um, We envisage less sail and fail occurrences, so as we should be able to better predict the impacts of weather on vessel hull types. Additionally, we have a much clearer picture of when a technician will arrive on a specific asset, obviously important for planning and, and how much work you can get done in a day. Um, and then finally, we should be able to optimise vessel selection decisions for, for individual sites and, and, and seasons indeed.
0: Very well explained, George. Thank you. I think that's, um we, neatly summarises our, our, our work.
4: Yeah, so, so as part of our, our tool testing and, and, and validation, we worked with, with TNO to test the tool in a practical environment. Um, and some of the findings so far, so obviously... Key driver behind the tool being that commercially viable element. um what we found in in the initial testing over a period of months that on on some certain european wind farms in which we tested it we, we found that it, it directly led to an increase of energy production that was just greater than one percent so if we then um, translate that to a period of perhaps over five months that that equates to over three hundred thousand euros in revenue um, which is significant we also noted a reduction of preventing preventative maintenance costs by 70% on a, on a Chinese wind farm um, with already over 99% energy availability, which is very significant for us. That's, that's obviously extremely positive um, from our initial findings. Just a bit of data to back up what, mm. we've, what we've already um, touched uh, on. So
0: I think we're getting close to um, our time uh, here on the podcast today. I would just uh, remind people of the outputs of the, of the work that we've done the commercial tool that that George has mentioned is is one of the major um, outputs uh, which is something that we would encourage anyone uh, from industry to look at and they should uh, contact SMC in in that regard to uh, investigate that further. Um, But also we've made uh, various things public via our website uh, which includes our overall report um, of our process and our findings in the project. We also have um, a table of uh, the vessel Motion predictions for for various different generic hull types, uh, which and also the predicted uh, seasickness indexes uh, from those motions. So that's a, a table of data which can be uh, downloaded um, if you get in touch via our website. We also have uh, various packages of code that we've used uh, in some of the work that we did. For example, the, the app that Fiona mentioned um, to collect data, that code will be made available uh, as well as other things as well. So please get in touch to find out more. That's all we've got time for. But once again, thank you to all of our, our guests, uh, Fiona, Joanna, Jais, and George. Um, thank you for your valuable insight. Personally for me it's been fantastic to be part of work which focuses on the well-being of people and um, the people out there at uh, on site working day to day and I really believe this can have a positive effect on the industry so um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the future. You can find out more about the project on the website which is ore.catapult.org.uk and on twitter at orecatapult.